On today's episode, I'll be discussing the White Sox with reporter Scott Merkin. That's today on Fastball Fantasy Baseball. This is Fastball Fantasy Baseball with Taylor Tarter and Matt Kirk. Let's get into it. Today, we'd like to welcome back Scott Merkin, who covers the White Sox for the MLB.com. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Scott Merkin. Scott, thanks for joining us. Sure, Taylor. Your, your name, I forget, has got a nice alliteration going yeah. right there, right? <laughs> Say that 10 times fast. It'd be kind of tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's been a, a a lifelong uh a lifelong thing. People have pointed out. I get double, uh, double T all the time. T squared. Now I'm going to dredge up bad my memories from your childhood. Sorry about that. <laughs> all good. Okay. So, um, just kind of getting into it. Uh, you know, the 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 first thing is kind of like the sad news. Uh, but I kind of you know wanted to cover that, and you know that way we can. Um, you know, move move into other stuff, but you know, terrible right. news about Liam Hendricks. Yes. Um, of course, hoping everything goes well for him, full recovery. I just want to say, like, you know, him and his wife Christy are great people, and I mean, obviously, we've seen a lot of great people who have had bad things happen to him. Yeah, and, and they, they do a lot of charity work too. They, since day one, it was something that they made a priority, you know, they had what, four teams, at least four, I think Liam told me major teams interested in him. major teams, like the minor leagues were going to sign him, but like <laughs> four teams that were really willing to go the distance to sign him. And I think Toronto and Houston might've been two of the other ones that with the White Sox. And, you know, one of the concerns for them was how do we get involved in the community? And they really started right from the beginning. They've done so much in so many different areas. You know, they're, I have a friend who runs uh, players for pits and Liam and his wife, Christy, have been involved before Liam even got to the White Sox. So they're very dedicated animal lovers. They're people lovers. And I just think, you know, I think he's going to beat this just by, with no knowledge at all, no medical yeah. knowledge. whatsoever. I've had friends and colleagues and people I know who have had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and have gotten through it. And I'm just going to keep positive outlook and say that, you know, with his spirit, they both have a very positive outlook life that they'll be able to do it. Just real quickly, I mean, there are, I don't think Crochet will be there because I don't know when he's going to be back exactly from his Tommy John, you know, recovery, he had it last mm-hmm, March. Mm-hmm. Right. So it may be into the season when he is, is back, but you know, I, I don't, the thing is Liam is the closer and it's, it's easy to say, well, so-and-so can pitch tonight, but it's different. It's there. It's a different, just speaking generally, not speaking anything about the white Sox, but just it's different to pitch the ninth than it is to pitch. The and some guys thrive getting the biggest out of the game in the seventh inning, you know, then, then the ninth inning ends up being, maybe the bottom of the order. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a different thing for different things. They do have guys who can throw that in. Ronaldo Lopez, Kendall Graveman, Aaron Bummer. But if you don't mind, I'd rather just focus on let's, you know, hope Liam recovers quickly, gets healthy. And then, you know, as, as spring training arrives, I think the Sox will talk more once we're around the team, once we're around Pedro Grafol, once we're around Rick Hahn about, you know, the outlook. And maybe even Liam will will be there. But the biggest thing right now is Liam's recovery. That's, that's the sure. most important thing. Yep, of course, of course. Um, moving into like, uh, some of the off season moves here, uh, Jose Abreu seems like a pretty big time loss, not just for the lineup, but as like a clubhouse guy, who is, who's like the de facto team leader now, uh, you know, who's kind of like taken over that role in the club, uh, do you think? Well, you know, I think, um, I was talking to Andrew Vaughn recently and he talked about, 
Jose and Tim Anderson were kind of the faces of the franchise. Mm -hmm. And that's spot on. I think, you know, you can make a case of Lucas Giolito and then Dylan Cease, but I think it's different for pitchers because they're not, they're out there every fifth day, you know? So it's a little, I mean, you can have a pitcher who's a leader. I'm sure Verlander was a leader, you know, in his way for the Houston Astros when they won the world series. But I I think it's going to be everyone's job to step up. You know, you look at a guy, I mean, Jose had a big influence on guys and everyone in that clubhouse. I talked to Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets about how he'd come sit next to them on the plane and just talk to him about hitting and just talk to him about what they're doing, you know, and uh, what's, what's going on with baseball, what's their life and that kind of thing. He had a very big influence. His locker was in the corner of the clubhouse with Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert and Joel Moncada. They were in, I think it was in that order. It might've been Robert Jimenez, then Moncada actually, whatever it was, they were all bunched together out there. And he had a profound influence. I think people remember when Moncada made his debut, the the only player in the 21 years I've covered baseball to get a standing ovation on a foul ball when he made his debut with the White Sox and fouled the pitch off. They were so excited to see him. Abreu offered to go to the airport and pick him up. I think he did pick him up, as a matter of fact, because he wanted to you know, welcome to Chicago. But now it's going to be interesting because I think there's a school of thought to say, okay, these guys are young, but they're not inexperienced. They've been in the game a while now. You know, Robert's been in the game a while. Uh, Moncada's been in the game a while. Jimenez has been in the game a while. I'm not saying, you know, 10 years, but more than a cup of coffee, more than Andrew Vaughn, for that matter. So it's on them now to step up. You know, there's no, I don't want to say crutch, but there's no one to rely on, you know, except each other. When things go bad, you got to step up and kind of handle it. And I'm not saying they didn't, but I think it's a different outlook for now with Jose gone. Jose is a great, another tremendous guy. I mean, one of the best you'll you'll find and just did so much for that organization. And really, it's amazing, which I guess speaks to <laughs> kind of a dearth of power in that organization, but also how great Jose's career was that he closes out after nine seasons, the third leading home run hitter in franchise history. Now, wow. one and two are probably never going to be caught. You know, it's Frank and Canerco at like, I want to say oh, 448 yeah. and 432. So Aloy would have to be with the Sox for probably like 15, 20 years to even yes. give that a run. If, if you're thinking of a guy who hits a lot of home runs and Jose was consistent, except last year, 25, 30 every year. But, you know, people kind of say, well, Vaughn had to play first base and, you know, he can't be in the outfield anymore. He was not a great outfielder, but he also was new to the position. But Vaughn, you know, even told me last time I talked to him right before New Year's that, you know, it, his fatigue at the end of last year wasn't all because he played the outfield and he's kind of not relearned first base, but it's got to get accustomed there over again but don't underestimate that they have to replace along with his leadership a brave you know production it wasn't like a brave left last year hitting 190 and not getting on base you know i think he had his highest on base percentage in his career or equaled it hit over 300 still had extra base power in terms of doubles didn't hit nearly as many home runs i think you know in certain parts of his game might have slowed down a little bit maybe you look at like the high fastball didn't catch up to that as much as he mm-hmm. used to but remember he's played 20 years at a high level, you know, he, he played in Cuba for, you know, the best team in Cuba, which is saying something because Cuba has great baseball. He played for Cienfuegos. So, you know, I, I think it's, it, it, it's, it's, it stands to reason when you have that many plate appearances, that many times, that many times in the field, but yeah, someone's going to have to replace that production too. And then you're already, so you're counting on someone to replace that while you're counting on Vaughn, who's moving to first to have the same production or better than he had last year. So yeah, there's a hole there. I mean, no question. Ben Attendee's a nice pickup, but, there's a hole in terms of leadership. And and it's sad. It's sad that, you know, he had to leave. But I mean, hey, Frank Thomas left, you know, went to the playoffs with Oakland. He's the greatest hitter in the history of the franchise, probably by, I mean, unless you want to count like Eddie Collins or uh, Luke Appling, who were well, believe it or not, well before my time. Um, 
you know, Frank's the best hitter in franchise history. Mark Burley left. Mark Burley arguably is the most popular guy among fans that I've ever covered. People loved him. To this day, you say his name and people recount like four stories. I remember about Mark Burley. So, you know, that's the nature of the business. Jose knew it. You could tell a different demeanor about Jose the last couple months that he knew, you know, he was moving on somewhere. And I think he found a great fit in Houston. You know, I mean, I think that's a tremendous fit. So to, to and make a very long answer short, they have to replace the leadership. They have to replace the offense. And a really good hitter went to the best lineup in the American League who are the defending World Series champions. And on top of all that, the Sox opened the season in Houston. So there you oh, go. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Full so there, there's, there's the whole storyline for you. And this is off topic, but didn't wasn't Burley the one who had that crazy, like, web gem behind the back yes, flip yes. To, on the first baseline. Give you three quick Burley stories. Uh, a couple times, tarp dived during rain delays. And I remember <laughs> the last time he did it, I talked to Kenny Williams. And Kenny Williams was great to interview when he was GM because he's got the ex-player mentality, you know? So he basically said, uh, if you enjoyed it, that's good because it's not going to happen again. That has been made clear. And, you know, Mark didn't do it again. And then... The great play where he deflected, I think it was 2010, he deflected a hard hit grounder by Lou Morrison against Cleveland up the middle, went to the right of the mound, across the foul line, on the run, he picked the ball up with his glove, flipped it between his legs, right to Canerco, who caught it with his bare hand. Now, it helped that the catcher was running, obviously, but Canerco calls that, jokingly calls that his bare hand play that Burley contributed to. And then the, the best Burley story I have is Burley, in the spring training, was basically ready when he picked up the baseball. That's how easy it was for him. Not like easy to get guys out, but that's how quickly he got ready. So he'd skip some starts in spring training because he just didn't need all of the starts in spring training. And of course, you know, our job is, oh my God, what happened to Burley? Why is he not starting? Mm -hmm. So one day he told us that he was not starting because he had Dutch elm disease, which of course is a disease of a tree that's sexually transmitted through beetles or something like that. I, and none of us believed it. I, I will admit that a couple of us looked it up just to make sure. So this is, we were in Tucson. And I went to the uh, Kmart garden store that night and asked them for any kind of, you know, material that could combat Dutch Elm. They looked at me like I was speaking, you know, a foreign language. So I ended up getting fertilizer and leaving it on his chair and, you know, in a bag, of course, and saying this cures Dutch Elm. But that that's the kind of guy he was. He just, he was totally unaffected by everything and just so good. And, you know, the work, the nightmare for vendors, but the reporter's best friend, because, Burley was pitching. If it went two and a half hours, that was a long game for him. Great, great guy, great competitor. And it's nice to hear like that these guys still have fun, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was one thing that, not to go too deep into history here, but that 05 team had fun across the board. That was a team. Now, you can't help but have fun when you're in first place from day one to last day. You win 110 games. You win 99 in the regular season. You go 11-1 in the postseason. There's a lot of fun there, right? But it was a group that really fit well together. And that's why I, I get a little uh, turned. You know, I hear Sox fans complain about where well, they didn't get this guy, they didn't get this guy. And I get it. Like Bryce Harper would have been a perfect fit for the White Sox, whatever the cost was. Easy for me to say. But he would have been the perfect fit. Left-handed bat, right fielder. Although I'm not sure he's as much of a right fielder as he was then right now. But, you know, you need the best fit for the team. Sure, having good players makes sense but you need the best fit for the team. And that 05 team just fit together perfectly. Everything worked for that team. So you mentioned uh, Andrew Vaughn uh, a little bit ago, and he, uh, are we, are we good with that? Like, is he definitely first base? Like that's his job now. 
he is the first baseman. Uh, that was where he was drafted out of Cal. <clears throat> That's his natural position. You know, give the guy credit. What was it, 2021, right? Where Jimenez hurt himself going for making a really bad move going for a fly ball that was, yeah, he was being competitive, but it was a spring training game going for a Sean Murphy home run that was well out of the park. And then he tore his lateral bicep, mm-hmm. I think it was. I've written that so many times I should know it by heart at this point. <laughs> and basically they said to Andrew Vaughn, who had worked a little bit in the outfield during the alternate training site in the in the pandemic year of 2020, you're a left fielder, you know, go learn the position. So that's what he had to do. And yeah, his metrics don't grade out real well. He had some odd routes that he took here and there, but he was a, sorry, I have a phone call in the background there, but he, uh, but you know, he, he worked his butt off and it's not easy to say to go learn a position. And, you know, I don't think speed is, he said, this is his, I know it's not that I don't think speed is not his biggest thing. So that's tough too. So yeah, they're going to be a much better team. And this is nothing against Andrew and nothing against Jose, who is a very good defensive first baseman with Andrew at first, Benatendi in left, Robert in center. And I would think, if not at the outset, eventually Oscar Colas, who is a center fielder by trade, playing right field. That's going to be a much improved defense over what they had. And then so, Aloy, of course, at DH. So is is this the year, is this the breakout year, the breakout year for, for Andrew Vaughn? Well, you know what, I, the story I did, he talked a lot about that he has not finished strong the last two years. And he made a point of saying, without me even asking, of saying, you know, it's not just playing the outfield. You know, that it's not just being worn down because you do do a lot more running in the outfield, right? Than you do in first base mm-hmm. for the most part. <laughs> so he's wor- he's working hard. He said it's 162 games. It's a long season. The goal is to play all of them. But I think if they can get him in for, you know, 140 even, that might even, maybe that even, maybe Sox will hear that and say, you're, you're even jumping a little high on that one. But yeah, I, I think he's, he's a very polished hitter. He's been that way since the day they got him. And I think it's going to help a little bit that he's at his natural spot. But I think, again, it's, putting together a complete season because he's been very good and then, you know, struggled mightily in 21 at the end of the season. I think he was four for 42 in September with no extra base hits a little better last year. So maybe he's getting it as he goes. And remember, this is a guy who has 254 plate appearances of minor league experience. Mm-hmm. So that's nothing, you know, that's no time at all down there. So he's kind of learning on the fly, but I'm not going to say this is going to be his breakout year, but I think he was pretty good each of the first two years. So I think, with the knowledge he has and the new position, he not the, the new position that's the old position. I think he's you know going to be going to be in in a good spot. That's good to know. Um, what is I gotta get your take on Giolito last season? Yeah. Um, why so many struggles? You know what what did you see that kind of led to that kind of you know I think he had a four ninety ERA. Yeah, I think it was just an off year for him. I don't know if I have like the exact answer one way or the other. I just think it didn't go well. And to his credit, excuse me, never hid from that. You know, never said like, well, mm-hmm. you know, if this happened in the field or this happened, I would have had this, you know, this many earned runs. I remember talking, I remember waiting for him on a Sunday day game. He was doing his workout outfield in the bullpen. And we started talking with, as a band walked by us, as a matter of fact, on the field, a youth band that was playing before the game. And he just basically kind of not chuckled, but kind of almost like an exasperated laugh when I said, how would you describe the season? He said, well, you know, I've been bad. He said, there's no way around it. I have not had a good season. One thing I know, two things I know about Lucas is he's an intense student of the game. Like he's, he wants to know beyond even the information I think that's given to him by the pitching coach and everyone else. So I, you know, I know he's going to go, I know he's been doing it all year, but even more so this off season, looking into what can change. 
He's also a very proud kid. And he's, you know, was one of the better starters in the American League for the three years before that. So it's not like he had like a good month and then suddenly went bad for a couple of years. He's been really good for three years. So mm-hmm. I think I, I have a good feeling. And also, you know, you can say what you want, but this is his contract year. This is his last year. The Sox have control of him. So, you know, unless he signs some sort of long-term deal with the Sox, I, I don't think that's going to happen, but not right now. You know, this is a big year for him. So we'll, we'll see what happens on uh but I, I think he's going to be good though. So I, I also want to uh, get your insight on um, Dylan Cease and get an idea of what you think is sustainable from last season going into this season. And then, you know, on the flip side, a lot of people are talking about, you know, there's, there's likely regression coming and, you know, what's something that may, that, that you saw last year that may lead to some regression. Oh, I don't think there's regression coming. I think if anything, people talk about how he's going to even be better than he was. And that's saying something, you know, you know, it's interesting because he had that stretch where he had, was it 14 starts with one earned run or less? Now there were some earned runs, I'm sorry, unearned runs allowed Mm -hmm. in there. I think in one game he had like seven runs or six runs allowed and only one was earned. <laughs> so, you know, he had a, he had a few moments here and there, but I mean, the guy was, if there was no Justin Verlander in baseball last year, Dylan Cease would have won the Cy Young. I think it would, you know, I, I think, it, you know, Manoa made a good case. Uh, Otani is just the most ridiculous player I've yeah. seen in my lifetime. He, they should create an, a, a, an award separate for him that someone else could have after he retires <laughs> down the line. But yeah, I just think the way Cease has learned about, you know, his, his man, his mannerisms for preparation. Uh, pitching coach Ethan Katz has talked about this. Understanding what's behind each pitch. You know that, it, what is it? The slider, right? That he throws. That's been. I'm blanking at it, but I'm, yeah, it's the slider he throws. It's been unbelievable. You know, it's one of the best pitches in baseball, um, in terms of swing and miss stuff. And he's got a fastball that runs up 98, 99. You know, I mean, I, I think people knew about him when they got him from the Cubs with Aloy, but I think Aloy was rightfully so the the center of that trade mm-hmm. and now look at it, you know, I mean, Aloy's still, you know, still very good. So got potential to be a 40 home run hitter and ceases perennial Cy Young guy. But, you know, I would be surprised. I mean, sure. I, I don't know if he's going to have a two, one, four ERA every year, you know, but I would be surprised if he drops, if any, if there's any regression, it's more than, you know, minimum. And he picks up in other areas. I just think he's that good. And I think he just gets it now. You know, he really, you know, he's, he's still, he's, I think he still led baseball and walks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that's something, you know, fastball command is something he's stressed in the off season, but think about it. He, he led baseball in walks and still finished with like a two, one, four ERA and, you know, had, I, I don't know the exact total. I don't have it in front of me, but what, 270, 260 strikeouts, something like that. I believe he was second in baseball behind Garrett Cole. So yeah, I, I just think, you know, the Sox have a guy who, if you want to say a number one, you know, I mean, there's. A lot of them, a lot of teams will go by, you know, the number one is the guy who's pitching on that day. But, you know, I, I think you have a guy who really can do I'm, I'm looking at his numbers now. He had 227 strikeouts in 184 innings, 126 hits allowed, 78 walks, which let me look real quick, was tops in baseball. Nick Pavetta was second at 73. Martin Perez had 69 and Framber Valdez had 67. And they were both very effective pitchers. So, you know, I guess it does not necessarily mean that you're you're off your game he's because you know you, you don't give up many hits i think the 186 innings were a key thing for him he went deep in the games you know it wasn't five and die for him even when he was walking guys and even though he struck out a lot he managed to go deep in the games almost threw a no hitter against the twins was absolutely dominant just just i mean you can't say enough about his progression from 2020 when they didn't even feel confident enough to start him 
as the third guy, third starter in that wildcard series in Oakland, you know, the pandemic year. And he was their third starter all year behind Lucas and Dallas Keiko. to now, you know, a guy who finishes second in the Cy Young. And like I said, probably wins if it's not for Justin Verlander. So I don't see much regression in the equation there. All right. Well, I, I got one more question for you sure. about uh, White Sox prospects. So you okay. mentioned you mentioned Oscar Colas. Right. Um, is Are there you know, this is a team with very, very few holes uh, to fill. So I don't know how many prospects are they're going to call up this year. Uh, but are, are there one or two more that you think might get a cup of coffee at the end of the season or that we might see this season that could matter? I think, you know, they're a team that's that's pretty low rated as an organization in terms of the uh, farm system. And I've mentioned this a couple of times. They have some guys who have some helium who are, you know, on their way. And then, of course, you know, Sox fan base is not the happiest fan base right now. Understandably so. Last year was, you know, for lack of a better word, baseball wise, a debacle. You know, they were 81 and 81. They were the definition of mired in mediocrity. They were never more than five under, never more than five over. They have the talent to be one of the best teams in baseball and weren't even close to that. But their system has some really good young guys who are a couple years away. And then, you know, some guys who have already made the jump long ago to the majors, you know, Yohan Moncada, Andrew Vaughn, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert. So just looking at our MLB pipeline top 30, you know, Colson Montgomery is a guy who's probably a couple years away on the infield. I think Lennon Sosa is a guy who didn't fare very well at the majors last year, but was in kind of a tough situation for his 35 at-bats. He will be in the second base mix. I'm not sure if he gets that to start with, hmm. but I think he'll be in the mix. Jose Rodriguez is another guy who had a good year in the minors last year and I think could be in the second base mix as the season goes on. I think Sean Burke, because they're not very deep in starting pitching and he is a very good prospect, is right there with Davis Martin, who, who made his name last year as guys, you know, if they need another starter. And you usually need, you know, at least one or two more starters during the course of the year. So, yeah, I think there's some guys who can help. I don't think there's, except for Colas, who I think will start the season as the right fielder, I don't think there's any major jump-off-the-page prospects who are you know, going to hit the hit the ground running right at the outset. But there could be some guys, like I mentioned, who will help them as the season goes on. Well, Scott, thank you very much for this. This was awesome. Great information, great stories, and uh, really appreciate your insight and your time. Sure, anytime, Taylor. Talk to you soon. We'll be covering all the big news ahead of spring training, including interviews with MLB beat writers, providing you with insight you won't get anywhere else. So make sure to subscribe and tune in so you're notified when episodes publish every Wednesday. We're also going to be publishing some other episodes throughout each week uh, before the season starts. So make sure you are subscribed so you know when they're published. In the meantime, you can tweet us at FastballPod, reach out to us on Instagram at FastballFantasyBaseball, or email us at FastballFantasyBaseball at gmail.com, and we'll respond. You can also find my fantasy analysis at several outlets this year, including PitcherList, Fantasy Pros, and Fantrax. So keep your eyes out. I have articles coming out this week and next. Finally, please give the show a five-star rating. Each high rating will move this podcast up the list on all the podcast platforms when people search for fantasy baseball. So it's something that really helps us out. And thanks for listening.